This is the Unregulated Podcast by City AM. I'm Catchley Morrison. Hello and welcome to the Unregulated Podcast, where we speak to entrepreneurs and discuss how to get ahead in your career. On this episode, I spoke to Matt Powell, founder and chief executive of Breaking Barriers, a charity working to help refugees integrate in the UK. We position ourselves really as this bridge between this refugee population and businesses. And Amar, a young Syrian refugee who recently arrived in London. I've actually never studied English before. We're coming to you from the studio at White City Place, courtesy of Huckletree, the digital lifestyle co-working space. Amar, can you tell us a bit about what it's been like moving to the UK? It's been definitely um, a change for me. Like, I'm not used to it, but I feel that this is where I really belong. This is what I came for. So it's been really interesting so far. Mm-hmm. Did you learn English before you came over or have you been learning it since you moved here? I've actually never studied English before. I've had it as a subject in the university uh, while I was studying um, accounting for two years, but I've never paid so much attention to it. And even if you do, it's just, it's very basic. It's not that professional and you get it without an accent. So I picked it up out of movies, basically. Very good. So have you studied more since you came here? Have you got a qualification in English? I've worked as a translator while I was on the way here in Greece uh, for six months uh, for like Channel 4, New York Times, This American Life Radio. And... um, yeah, I've been just improving my English okay. ever since. Yeah. Um, great. Well, you sound pretty fluent to me. Um, uh, thank you. <laughs> how have you found like acclimatizing to the weather and the food and the accents as well over here? Well, the accent, it was okay. I mean, of course, it was very different to me because um, I arrived to Scotland. So oh. <laughs> uh, that was pretty difficult, even more difficult. So I, I couldn't get it at first, but then I started to adapt. Mm-hmm. And then I got moved to London, relocated by the Home Office, and then I live here. And now I'm studying English with the breaking barriers. I'm preparing for my IELTS English mm-hmm. um, exam in order to attend, start attending the university okay. here in London. Cool. Um, so Matt, can you tell us a little bit about breaking barriers? Absolutely. Um, so Breaking Barriers was a charity that I set up about three years ago while studying at university to help refugees like Amar who have a, a huge appetite to work, have a huge um, desire to to contribute and integrate into the UK um, by finding them in education and employment opportunities. Um, there's uh, quite a significant refugee population in the UK of about 120,000. Um, and unemployment levels are about 64%. So with people like Amar who have skills, education, good English, um, have had successful careers in their countries of origin, it seemed um, crazy that they weren't able to access education and employment opportunities um, for various reasons. So we positioned ourselves really as this bridge between this refugee population and businesses who could leverage their resources and um, uh, financial capital and ultimately job opportunities to 
to provide access for these refugees to, to help them integrate and overcome those barriers to employment. Was there any one thing that kind of gave you the idea in the beginning? Not really. I think I, I did a research project into why aren't why refugees aren't integrating in developed countries, not specifically London or specifically UK, but developed countries in general. And the one thing that seemed to stick out was the unemployment figures. So I would say it was the unemployment figure. Um, and it seemed to be consistent across a lot of developed countries, um, slightly more so in, in, in Europe than perhaps North America. Um, and there seemed to be a real lack in terms of legislative um, stuff and policy, um, but primarily on the ground delivery in terms of providing employment support. So there also seemed to be a, a real lack of organisations that were proactively working with businesses um, to help refugees overcome these barriers. So, um, yeah, it was really the unemployment figure that was the um, the initial impetus to, to set up the organisation. So what actually do you do uh, with the refugees to help them get into work? So we pr- every refugee will get a, a base level of advice and guidance, um, which will be a needs assessment that will include... Um, assessing where they are now in terms of their um, employment backgrounds, their education backgrounds, their English language levels, looking at their short, medium, long-term goals and coming up with a, a support support plan um, to help them achieve those. And alongside that, we have a various services. We have mentoring. We, have, we access our um, employees of our corporate partners. We have English language support that complements existing statutory provision through local authorities so we run pre-entry level ESOL which is um, very entry level English for people who don't speak anything essentially um, which is uh, what a lot of Syrians coming over as part of the resettlement program and they have they're at that level mm-hmm. but that's not provided by local authorities so it's really looking for our, uh, us to complement existing um, support um, we provide employability workshops with our corporate partners, so interview practice, communication skills, presentation skills. We run cultural orientation classes to introduce people to the UK labour market. Um, and ultimately, we have access to um, job opportunities, work placements um, and permanent opportunities that we've brokered with our corporate partners by developing these bespoke uh, recruitment routes into the business. How easy do you find it to find corporate partners? Like, have they been supportive in the main? They have been supportive, very supportive. Um, from my experience, and this is the same for corporates, for individual volunteers, for donors, um, a lot of people want to help, but they quite often don't know how to help. And what we've done slightly different to other organisations is as opposed to going to businesses saying, how can you help us? We've said to them, here's how you're going to help. And we've offered them a real structured and meaningful uh, and impactful way of being able to to leverage their resources to support the refugee population. So on the whole, extremely supportive, but it's been very important that uh, we've been able to provide them with a a structured means of being able to get involved. Mm -hmm. So back to you, Amar. Uh, You are starting university soon? Very soon. Is that right? And where, where are you going and what are you going to study? So I'm going to be studying um, fashion, visual merchandising and branding at uh, UAL University, London College of Fashion. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so how are you feeling about, about very, this new start? Very interesting. Very, very excited. Um, yeah, I'm just look forward to it. 
Do you feel like you've been prepared well by Breaking Barriers? Definitely. I mean, um, they've helped a lot with the creating CVs and uh, uh, finding like internships while you're in the university, um, attending your classes. But at the same time, you could like apply whatever you're learning. You could apply on in the real life. I mean, on mm -hmm. the reality, uh, which is this is great and it's paid opportunities. That's most important. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. How was the process of applying to the university um, and getting a place? Was it similar to when you applied for university in Syria? Um, not really, not really, not at all. Um, it's totally different in Syria. And you, when you apply to university, it's mostly you're going to get accepted in Syria. Mm -hmm. uh, but not here. Here it's like you got a lot of procedures um, and they don't ask for a CV, they don't ask for a portfolio back home, but here they do. Mm -hmm. um, so it's pretty hard to get into university over here. Yeah, I remember Expensive. it well. Is it difficult to have foreign qualifications? So your qualifications from Syria, were they recognized or did you f do you feel like you had to kind of explain what, it, what they meant and what you had done before? Okay, so... I got a, I got a little help of friend. His name is Jamie Roberts, and he helped a lot. He he'd been a student at UAL mm -hmm. before. Um, about the qualifications, so I've worked as a visual merchandiser before. So I do have pictures of my work. So he helped to create a portfolio, a very organized, creative portfolio, and that helped me a lot to attend the university. They, th they thought that I'm an exception and I have to attend the university, even though I've applied when I, when I was an asylum seeker. Like, I wasn't allowed to apply, mm -hmm. but they, they, thought, they thought it's worth it. Great. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Matt, back to you, kind of on that note, is the work on the places that you find for people at university, is it based on their skills or... Is there kind of feeling that any work will do? Um, well, in t the places that we tend to find refugees are more with businesses as opposed to universities. Mm -hmm. And we support uh, refugees to access university. Um, but there are a lot of barriers that prevent refugees from accessing um, placements. Um, passing the English exam is the probably the primary one it's very difficult to do mm -hmm. there's no um statutory free IELTS classes which is the academic English which Amar referenced and there's no um support in terms of paying for the actual exam which is about 160 pound so little things like that become big obstacles um and then there's other obstacles such as Amar a lot of refugees especially from Syria were part way through a university education so when they come to the UK they're either faced with starting again from the beginning or um, it's very discretionary for the university to be able to allow them to come in at a later stage, either at year two or beginning of year three. But that very much comes down to having an individual conversation with a professor, with a, um, a course convener to be able to negotiate mm -hmm. and we can help negotiate on behalf of the people we're supporting. But also we want to make sure people are going in at the right level at the right level so they are able to um, 
successfully complete the the placement and things like that. And then you've got the student finance thing, which is a whole new yeah uh, whole new ballpark, <laughs> which is is very difficult to navigate. Yeah, well, how do you navigate that? Well, that's it's a good question. I might probably got some good experiences from self, but with refugees, if you've successfully completed an undergraduate degree in another country, you technically don't qualify for student finance here because you've already completed an undergraduate degree elsewhere. Um, but you can if you're only partway through. Um, but again, it's discretionary and it relies on you being able to have a conversation with the university. Mm-hmm. And the universities do have a lot of autonomy to um, give discretionary places or discretionary scholarships, what a lot of universities are doing. Um, but Amar's probably best place to talk through his experience with student finance. Um, Amar, if you want to take uh, take over here, what, how have you found it dealing with the finance side of your application? So I've also had a help from a friend. He's Syrian as well. but he, He's been in the country for for so long, so he knows how it works. Uh, I've, I've just applied online and... Uh, with evidence, you should provide evidence that your parents can't, they can't support you with uh, mm-hmm. the tuition and all that. Um, I've, provided, I've provided everything, all the information they need uh, with references. Um, and I just got the answer, I think um, three weeks later, I got it. They, they've, I've, been, I've been accepted. Okay. I'm eligible to get that finance loan. Was it difficult to track down all that evidence that you needed? Uh, not really. No, it wasn't that difficult because once you have references, mm-hmm. um, that's that's all they need. Like I could I could have used Matt as a reference. He knows my story. He knows that my parents can't support me without. This is how it works. But it's hard for people that they don't have connection with breaking barriers uh, to get those references. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I'm talking about. In terms of the jobs that you find for people. Are they based on the skills that refugees will have from wherever they've come from? Or are they based on skills or are they based on, I need a job, here is a job? I guess it's very much dependent on their skills, but also circumstance. We're very much about getting people meaningful work. Um, Meaningful work could be work that's linked to their education and skills and work experience in their country of origin. Or it could be work that pays them adequately to support their families. It could be work that is fixed hour contracts to be able to get a stable, secure income. So it means different things to different people. Some people who come as um, in their 40s or 50s as lawyers, doctors, dentists, will probably never be able to requalify, and they know that, so they're happy to do other things. Um, whereas there will be other people that... Um, can quite easily requalify. So we're very much about finding roles that um, utilizes people's skills where possible um, for their own um, benefit, but also for the country's benefit and the business's benefit. Um, but also finding roles that suit people's circumstances. And that very much is about um, s- supporting them through their short, medium t- and long-term goals. It might be three years before someone can requalify as a lawyer, but if we can get them work experience as a paralegal in the meantime, if we can support them through IELTS for the next two years, if we can get them with a mentor in the legal industry. So that's a it's a quality um, as much as a quantity approach. Mm-hmm. Um, because the last thing we want to be doing is getting people into work that doesn't utilise their skills, that isn't going to be long-lasting, um, doesn't 
help them learn the language, which is important. Um, and professionally speaking, I want to be able to support people that are empowered to move on with their lives beyond our support and aren't constantly coming back every year because they aren't earning enough money or um, they're in continual financial financial difficulty. What about things like helping people find just clothes for interviews and or even finding their way to filling out an application and getting to an interview? Do you help with that? Yeah, we help with the, uh, the, the the job search, the job application process. We tap into our corporate partners to get clothes for interview. Mm-hmm. Um, Mishkan Dorea, the law firm that's sponsoring the exhibition we're running, um, have donated a number of um, second-hand clothes, so we send them almost kind of a list of sizes and things like that and what we're looking for, and they'll then send that around to their staff, and we can get suits and, um, and shirts and shoes and blouses for, for people because in a similar capacity to £160 being a the primary obstacle for a mass studying at university, having a shirt and trousers can be an obstacle for someone getting a job. So it can be very much those little things that um, become the biggest barriers to people. Mm-hmm. So how many refugees would you say you guys have placed in work at this point? Well... On an annual basis, so we've been about three, been going for about three years. This year, we're supporting about three hundred refugees. Um, our target is to support a third of enrolments into work in the year that we're supporting them. Um, but we've supported about two hundred people uh, into employment since we started. Uh, we're still just London focused, um, but we've grown relatively rapidly uh, to a point where we're we're aiming to support about six hundred refugees per year. Um, within the next three years Um, but we've yeah supported around 200 refugees into employment amazing do you think that the job market for refugees has improved in the time that you've been running breaking barriers Uh, why i think what i've experienced throughout breaking barriers is regardless of the rhetoric in the press um the the labour market is imperfect and there are huge amount of skill shortages in a lot of areas. Um, a lot of industries are worried about hiring but also retention. Um, and so I think with um, with things like Brexit, people are, um, some industries are concerned about their workforce, that especially um, the service sector and retail where some of the organisations are 80-90% um, made up of immigrants. So I think that that side of things has meant a lot of businesses are starting to look at other populations, marginalised groups, people with mental health issues, ex-offenders, ex-armed service personnel. So I think um, th- for that reason it's become a bit easier. But I also think as, we're, as we've been able to generate case studies and, and proven models that are working with other businesses, it becomes easier and easier for us to get introductions to other businesses or to, to look to replicate those models elsewhere. And I have to ask, since Donald Trump has kind of, uh, since he's been elected, obviously there's a lot of kind of rhetoric about refugees coming from the White House. Do you think that's had an impact on this side of the pond? Um, Well, whilst trying to stay as apolitical as possible, um, it hasn't with the businesses. Um, My only experience of change has been perhaps with people who have approached us wanting to help. I think with anything like this, uh, 
the minority view always tends to be the most outspoken view and doesn't represent the majority of public opinion. And I think because of some of the, the more shocking stuff that has come out, people have started to say, look, I don't agree with this, um, including some of the businesses. And I think it's potentially um, caused some businesses to, to, to do stuff in the US. I don't know whether that's necessarily translated over to the UK. But I think I think Brexit was probably a bigger um, influence than, than mm-hmm. Donald Trump in the UK. Amar, if you could give advice to someone who is in your position, refugee that's come to the UK, wants to find a job or go to university, what what would you tell them? Towards breaking barriers, <laughs> because I've, I've like I'm in that situation and I've been there, and it's really hard. Um, I wish if I arrived to London instead of Scotland, as I was homeless over there for two months, so. If like find you uh, breaking barriers, they they don't they don't just help with work like they handle your 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 whole business your whole case uh, in terms of housing that they 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 got connections with um, refugees at home as well um, housing so and employments they create a CV and they try to provide internships as much as possible. Um, if you don't know English, they teach you English all over again. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's what I would recommend. Great. Yeah. Do you have anything to add, Matt? That's obviously a great plug for, for your outfit. It is, although I don't know whether we could um, deal with an overload of people coming to our services. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, one of my experiences, um, which has been absolutely the case with Amar, is there's every single person we work with has a huge appetite to work and a huge appetite to learn the language and a huge appetite to contribute back to a country that has given them refuge and safety and for that reason it's it makes our life very easy in the sense that we're just a matter of kind of facilitating access to to be able to enable them to do that so my message to anyone would be the statistics don't necessarily don't necessarily paint the true picture in the sense that it's not because people are looking for welfare or not looking to contribute. It's because structural barriers and um, prevent people from from integrating in the way that they'd like to. So that's the message I'd really want to get across. Great. And finally, Amar, um, what kind of what job would you hope to get once you finish university? What's your dream job? Um, I definitely. Um, like to work as a visual merchandiser, mm-hmm. which is the major that I want to study, uh, and my previous work as a visual merchandiser. I'd like to work for Enditex, which is like Spanish group of yeah. uh, brands, uh, such as Zara, Bershka, Pull&Bear, and, and so. Uh, so yeah, that, that'll be my goal, to be like the head of the visual merchandising department over there. So hopefully. Cool, it's good to dream big. Um, <laughs> do you think, would you move back to Syria or stay here or, or move to Spain if you if you get that job? Um, okay, in terms of moving out, I'm not allowed to go back to Syria. Like, not at all. Not even in the future. Not even in the far future. Oh, wow. I'm not allowed. Uh, as I'm wanted over there, because I've escaped. Okay. Um, so I'm not allowed to go back, but to travel to Spain or Italy or Paris, those fashionable 
um, cities. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'd love to. Great. Well, thanks very much and good luck to you. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's about it for this week. But if you're interested in learning more, Breaking Barriers has curated an exhibition featuring young adult refugees in the UK, which will run from the 10th to the 15th of October at Protein Studios in Shoreditch. If you're a fan of the podcast, please like and subscribe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen. And make sure to follow us on Twitter on at UnregulatedPod for updates and to let us know your thoughts on the issues we discussed in this episode. With thanks to Claire, who is producing this week, and Huckletree and White City Place, this has been the Unregulated Podcast.